Uh, okay, guys, welcome back. Just a, a quick uh, note before we get into the intro and the show. Obviously, we record these episodes slightly before they air so they can get edited. And um, there's a bit of conversation in this this one just due to local fires in BC and Alberta when we're speaking with Mike. And uh, we just wanted to make sure that obviously we didn't offend anyone. I don't think we did. You know, we were just discussing local situations. And then literally about 12 hours later, this this fire that we're dealing with in West Kelowna essentially ripped down West Side Road into Traders Cove and, and Rose Valley. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation for everyone. It also obviously jumped the lake over to McKinley and, and Lake Country. And, you know, Matt, maybe you can shed some light on your situation. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it's crazy out there. We were... Obviously, we knew the fire was happening uh, before, um, before. But Beck and I it was actually our anniversary the other night, so we were out for dinner. We went for dinner in uh, Okanagan Center, Grey Monk, and like we could see when we left, we could see the fire from my house. I live in McKinley across the lake. We could see the fire over the mountain. We could see the smoke. And we came for dinner. At dinner, everything was fine. You could see the smoke across the way. Like you knew there was a fire, but it seemed so far away at that time. And afterwards, after dinner, we got home and. We could just see the fire coming over the mountain on the other side of the lake from where I live in McKinley. And like within an hour, the entire mountain was filled with fire and all of our neighbors were texting each other and we started packing because we thought it could have jumped the lake. And then we're outside on the deck looking at the fire and all of a sudden it's beside us up. It's up the hill on our side of the lake. So our entire uh, neighborhood left that right within a couple of seconds the whole neighborhood rolled out it was mayhem for a bit and then uh we've been evacuated ever since so it's been a few days now and uh yeah it's crazy i know things have gotten wild you know taylor you're hosting people we're at our in-laws which is also at a like we're at our center and in-laws in glenmore which is also under an alert so we might have to leave here but uh i know taylor you're holding people at your house that are affected by the west Kelowna fires yeah it's just it's insane right now that you think about that there are out of control fires in Lake Country, Kelowna, West Kelowna, West Side Road, and beyond. It's just insane. Yeah, yeah. We we heard some friends have uh, you know their lost their houses um, pretty quickly Friday afternoon. Um, yeah. Honestly, didn't think it was going to get this bad this fast. But um, yeah, essentially, like you know, we've got a property in in uh, Rose Valley there, and evacuated my mom from from that property didn't really think much of it like literally we recorded this episode i went to go help her with my truck in the afternoon brought her back here thought we'd just kind of hang out for a day or two and until everything cooled off and then that evening yeah we went out and and saw it and it was just yeah obviously out of control and then across the lake could see something glowing on that side too so yeah shot you a message and just a really bad situation for everyone. Obviously, you know, we're not providing any new information here. People know the resources, where to reach out, how to get help, but just wanted to acknowledge that, yeah, it's a, it's a tough time for everyone. And, um, you know, so this is like time, time stamping this, this is Saturday afternoon. So like my neighborhood, I like, I don't know what our house is like. I haven't heard of anything crazy going on there besides when the vacuum. So like, we don't know by the time this episode comes on, there'll probably be, there'll be more developments that we don't know of yet. Right. Yeah. So as of right now, we're still out. We don't, we don't have any idea. And uh, yeah, it's a, uh, we're thinking about everyone. It's a crazy 
It's affecting so many people. When you drive around Kelowna right now, there's no gas. Like most of the gas stations don't have any fuel. Like there's yesterday, the grocery stores were a ghost town. Today, they're a little busier, but it's just a, it's apocalyptic feeling out there right now. It, it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 99% sure uh, the property in, in Rose Valley is burnt down, but you know, oh, we'll figure out once the smoke is blown over and we can get some eyes on it. But uh, it's just really tough to tell by some of the images and some of the news being yeah. posted. But yeah, everyone just stay safe and support each other. And yeah, like you said, gas stations are out of gas and, you know, yeah. pack a bag and just be ready. But um, yeah, try and help each other out. Be good people. And save your receipts. This is something I learned other situation, but save your receipts for all this because you never know. You could get reimbursed either through insurance or through government, right? So we didn't, uh, I think that's something to keep in mind. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that. And I think this episode, we do touch on the fires for a minute, but it was obviously before any of this. And yeah. We do, but definitely not specific to this fire, right? It was just a generic, hey, there's, there's fires at the summertime. And then literally six hours later, we're being overrun by a fire. So um, yeah. bad time. And we just wanted to make sure that no one thought we were also, you know, picking on this situation. So yeah. Um, yeah. Stay Very safe cool. out there guys. Yeah. Welcome to the Kelowna real estate podcast with your host, award-winning realtor, Matt Glenn and top producing mortgage broker, Taylor Atkinson, professionals in the industry, enthusiastic entrepreneurs, and successful investors. When it comes to real estate, we're all in. Welcome back, Kelowna Real Estate Podcast. How's it going, Taylor? Doing great today, Matt. How are you? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Our conversation with Andy was pretty good. He's got his new app, uh, RateFilter.ca. Where it kind of it sounds like it's pretty user friendly. Go out there and look the rates. Explains a bit about the rates. Sounds like I haven't checked it out, but yet going to do it after this, but sounds like you've got a good yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking a quick look there and um, yeah, there's a few websites out there, but his seems to be a little more transparent, I guess, because there are a lot of nuances to it. Yeah. And he's working on it. He says not entirely ready, but it sounds like it's actually quite a good idea. Something that our industry needs. And it was good talking about him uh, or talking to him about where he thinks the rates are going, uh, fixed versus variable. Yeah. It was an awesome episode. Had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, really smart guy, and um, yeah, I think you guys will will enjoy it. And... Yeah, all right, have fun. Welcome to the uh, icebreaker. This segment of the show is brought to you by Taylor at Venture Mortgages. Come venture into the exciting world of mortgages. Okay, um, welcome to the show, Andy Hill. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, so you're based in beautiful Vancouver. Yeah, tough yeah. spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, uh, from an affordability, both. Yeah, me, but yeah, I, I send some sarcasm, and it's it's an amazing place, man. It is a very magical spot down there. So. Have you lived there for a long time, Andy? I've been here since 2013. Oh, yeah, nice. And, and before then, I was Kamloops for a couple of years, and then Victoria. I went to UVic in 2005. Oh, yeah. And then uh, before that, I grew up in Toronto. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We moved out west like a lot of people are doing right now. Yeah. Toronto to Victoria was a change. But, <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, we usually start our show with asking what's your perfect Friday look like? You know, what yeah. generate return on energy for you? Our listener gets a bit of an insight to, to knowing a day in Andy. So yeah, if you could maybe start with that, that'd be great. Totally. I kind of had two ways to answer this one too, just because in Vancouver, I do kind of like to take Fridays sometimes as like a faux Saturday. Yeah. It does get so crazy around here on the weekends. So anyway, yeah. sometimes like, especially in the winter, like to try to get a nice ski day in on a Friday is pretty awesome. Yeah. Like perfect, perfect day would maybe be that. But, you yeah. know, in terms yeah. of like what we're doing with work, uh, yeah. that's, that's how we pay the bills. I, I really like to try to like get up early. I'm a big early morning guy ever since I read that 5 a.m. club book. There's like a pool and uh steam room right across the way here that I, I hit, which is those like Wim Hof methods are are kind of fun in like the cold and the hot and the cold and the hot. That, so you do that first thing, like five in the morning, five thirty? Yeah, I try. I mean, like in the winter, I find it a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. I find in the summer, you know, yeah, it's like hard to go to bed at nine o'clock in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. There's that sweet Simpsons episode where uh Bart staying at Ned Flanders house and they like put the blinds down and there's still all the kids like running around outside. I <laughs> like have that picture in my head whenever I like try to close my <laughs> blinds. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got like a West facing condo in Vancouver too. So like you just get the sun until the end of the day. And uh, so it's like, it, it, you're, yeah, it, it's hard to shut the, I, I find it's hard to shut it out when it's so sunny outside. Yeah. But, but anyways, yeah, like, you know, five to six kind of get things going. I've got this really old wiener dog and he gets me up early too. So that's like a general ritual every morning, take him to the park as well. Oh, awesome. I've got, I've, I've got a small office downtown Vancouver. So we usually like kind of would bike in there, spend the morning doing a bit of like catch up on everything. I find we just get so many emails, calls, things that kind of build up or, or just, you know, with so many lenders being back East, you know, their day starts so early that, you know, the inbox can kind of be kind of full by the time I get in or not full, but definitely a lot of actionable things from the day before. So I try to churn those out in a absolute perfect world. I'm also calling realtors like every day of the week for an hour uh, that would kind of fit in as well into that, like catch up return mode. And then I try to spend a couple hours a day, always doing this rate filter site I'm building. So um, I try to kind of turn off the admin and focus on, you know, some deliverables that way. And that usually takes me till about like one o'clock at that point. I mean, on a Friday, on a perfect Friday, you know, we're probably cutting out sometime around then and, uh, summer going to the beach or winter trying to think about doing some fun things on the weekend. Yeah. Like a normal day probably pushes me until like four o'clock, another round of admin finishing up some rate filter things. and then. I really like Friday not to cook and maybe have wine or a beer or multiple. So, you know, sometimes go out with my wife, kind of do something like that or go out with some buddies and check that out. Very cool. You got the, the perfect work-life balance, much like a lot of Vancouver, I'd say. Yeah, uh, with interest rates going up. Anyways, there might be some sacrifices here in the next few years just to focus on a bit more work. But yeah, I mean, for now, we're still living the dream. That's for sure. Your main role, you work with a brokerage, Mortgage Pal. They're a great brokerage, really well-established and have some amazing brokers. 
And you're also working on rate filter, which is part of the brokerage at all or totally? No, no me and uh, a guy that's also part of the brokerage, Alan Harder, built this uh, starting about November of last year. We were interviewing developers for the project. I kind of found that problem. I mean, for any broker, right? Like you need leads and you get that in a variety of different ways. You know, at the end of the day, rate filter is kind of like a lead engine, uh, but it's also, I think, by empowering a consumer and creating a cool front end, uh, you know, that should just naturally happen that I get deal flow. But yeah, we'll see. Unproven. So how's it going? Is it is it launched? Or are you guys working on it? Or we're like soft launch beta phase right now. Um, the plan is to have. We really want to have it be Alberta, BC, and Ontario. And one of the problems that I'm trying to solve is like, how do you find the lowest mortgage rate online that pertains to you? You can kind of do that on RateHub. You can kind of do that on Wawa, but it's always like disguised behind a broker. So still working on like exactly how I can show all the rates because some obviously have a buy down and you can't really show a bought down rate online. But, you know, right now in BC, like, or for us in Vancouver, there's two credit unions, one community savings credit union, the other Gulf and Fraser credit union. They're at 459 from community savings on a five-year fixed insured, which is like completely unheard of right now. Gulf and Fraser at 469. So I think by like aggregating these really like localized credit unions and then putting, you know, allowing somebody if they're in like a Soyuz or Penticton or Kelowna to put in that area, you know, you're going to see different lenders and different products that would like pertain to you. And if it's a refi, well, then, you know, those low rates wouldn't apply. So that's not going to show up. So the hope is to allow somebody to like do quite a bit of that research before they actually step into a sales call with me or Taylor. Yeah, I've, I've been on the, the beta website. It's great. I find, and I don't know if, if this was one of the issues you were trying to resolve, but for me, it kind of did is when you walk through as the end consumer or someone that's looking to get their mortgage, there's so many things that affect which mortgage product you would be able to get for yourself. So like you touched on that, whether it's insurable, insured, not insurable, and that's based on, you know, you're paying a CMHC premium. So a lot of the, I guess, promotions that I would see and the difficult conversations that you'd have with clients is clients would call and say, Hey, my, my neighbor got this rate or, Hey, I saw on a commercial or on a website that, you know, there's this rate available. But most people don't understand that if you're doing a refinance or your property's over a million dollars or it's a rental property or maybe you're, total debt service ratios don't work and we need to get them extended, you end up getting a slightly worse rate. So your website is essentially filtering that and educating people as they click through which mortgage product is going to be applicable to them. Was that yeah. was that part of the reason why you built it? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I was uh, I, I worked at True North Mortgage for a number of years, well, four years, so not like crazy amount of time, but managed an office there in Vancouver. It's one of those things that like the rate shopper is a certain person. It's a certain like persona that is just looking around and they've got that kind of like 
I was going to say like truffle pig, but I didn't want to use that analogy. But anyways, like, yeah, like, you know, also you know, like, yeah, you're just like looking for that thing, you know, like you're, you're trying to find it and you want to get to that single source of truth. And it's weird that, you know, like for Expedia, like if you're going to fly from Kelowna to Toronto, you punch it into Expedia and you trust that Expedia has got all of the options. You're not really like, oh, like, you know, this flight's more than that flight. You're just like, I want to fly at eight o'clock you know, and this is what it's showing me, or I want to fly, a, you know, we're educating a little bit in terms of like that, those are the results that come up, but people are still probably going to be slightly confused as to like, why didn't I get the other rates? I, I'm not really trying to pull the advisor out of this either. Like, I think that the advisor is like super important. You like, you definitely still need your broker. You just need maybe like a front end engine that can like show you where best rates are just to give you a bit of a lay of the land. Yeah, I, I do find in today's day and age too, education is at everyone's fingertips, right? Like, and that is a, a pro and a con in terms of, I don't know if it takes away some of the trust from, you know, if they're working with a broker and then they see something else come up online. And, you know, I like the fact that people are curious and want more education. And it's a great conversation to have to say, this is why that mortgage product isn't a right fit for you or you don't qualify for it. But essentially there, there has to be a trust level with the broker. Like yeah. I, I don't really have any incentive from most lenders to bring you there other than, you know, their rate is comparable to everyone else, but this product is a perfect fit for you because you're planning on doing a refi in two years or you want a HELOC or any of that. So yeah, I think it's a good tool for sure, but you, you obviously still need to work directly with a broker. Like just walking into that branch, if it's, telling you to go to TD, maybe it's not the right fit. So definitely have a conversation with a professional anyways. Yeah. And I see like this, you know, with this rise of AI and chat GPT and all that other fun stuff that's coming up, like I see the fulfillment arm of mortgages getting a lot more streamlined. So, you know, the advisor part of mortgages, that's difficult. That takes experience and skill and understanding of the product's and like a sales thing and a human connection, like there's a lot there, right? But for somebody to look at like their two-year T4, you know, to AML bank statements, to, you know, like all like to look at an Equifax report and and be like, yeah, the beacon's over 800, you know, like it's like stamp, 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 that really should be something that is very quick and streamlined, but you know, it's a super inefficient process and it'll take time, but I, I do kind of foresee an area in the future, maybe where like that sort of stuff is a little bit more not like auto approvable, but uh, you know, like two salary borrowers who worked at the company for more than three years with 800 plus beacons, you know, buying an insured or insurable place should just be like a check, like, done you know like everything should just be able to like sync up and be verified but we're not there yet so yeah can you um simplify it for the listener insured insurable conventional mortgage and just state why the rates would be different yeah yeah totally insurable is like the most murky so we'll end there uh insured is super easy a purchase less than 20 percent uh you pay your cmhc sajin or canada guarantee premium that mortgage has that insurance that you paid for, client paid mortgage insurance, which is then kind of portable, transferable to another lender. 
in the future if you moved the mortgage and didn't change it. So like you've got that seal of insurance on that mortgage. And as long as you don't change that mortgage for 25 years, effectively, it's still technically good if you just continue to pay it down and you can move your mortgage around. Conventional would be like anything that cannot get insurance. So it can't get that like CMHC, Sajin, or Canada Guarantee seal of approval. And therefore it has to sit effectively on like a bank balance sheet somewhere. Because of that, like it takes up bank reserves and the bank or credit union, whatever their cost of funds is, would they'll be able to lend that to their consumers. So you're pegged at a little bit less of like a market rate. You're pegged at like whatever the bank's sort of lending cost of funds rate would be. Insurable is still able to have that CMHC, SAGEN, or Candy Guarantee seal of approval, but the lender pays it. So that could be like a purchase effectively that works like that, or that could be a collateral transfer. That would have to maintain certain things like a AM less than 25 years. Original purchase price would have to be less than a million. Bit murky on that, but we won't get into the details. Uh, with the lender paid insurance, the insurable stuff, you can actually get like pretty close to insured rates is priced based on loan amount to value of the property. And so that get with insurable mortgages, the rates actually get higher the closer you are to 80% of the value of the home or 20% down. The insured and insurable mortgages effectively become Canadian mortgage bonds. And so that is like traded in the market all the time. And those mortgage bonds are like the thing that drives down the cost of those mortgages versus like an uninsurable mortgage, a conventional mortgage. Those are always going to be at a higher clip just based on the fact that you're having to borrow directly from a bank and not having to kind of get hedged in a bond market and then wrapped up with a bunch of things. I really simplified I, that, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Essentially, if that's like, default insurance, they're going to get a slightly better rate. Yeah. But uh, this is a, a slightly of a common question. Um, let's say someone's going to buy an owner occupied house for less than a million dollars. So it could be insured or insurable. And they have the potential to put, you know, less than 20% down or over 20% down, and that would change it. You know, would you suggest putting 19% down and paying a small CMHC premium to get the lower rate? Do you do those calculations? Or is it just like not worth it if like it really depends on the client? But when you have those conversations, where does it normally lead to? Yeah, I generally it's never worth it to put less than 20% down unless you want the cash flow, unless you need cash on the side. If you're really stretching to get to 20%, it doesn't matter. You don't pay the CMHC premium out of pocket, it gets tagged onto your mortgage. But the CM if you put 5% down, the CMHC premiums 4%. So you know they'll tag you 4% on the mortgage amount added to your mortgage. So yeah, you're at 99% of the home value effectively at that point in time, 10% down, it's 3.1%. And at 15% down, it's 2.8%. So it's really rare, although that's a one-time fee, it doesn't recur annually. It's really rare that it would make sense to put less than 20% down to get the better rate. You're then gonna look at maybe like putting 20, you know, 20% down even. You can compare that against putting 25% down because you'll probably get a bit of a discount there. The way that I explain it to people is that 
if you put 19% down, you pay 2.8% as a premium to the government to insure your own mortgage. When you put 20% down, the lender has to pay a premium to insure your mortgage. That premium is the most expensive at 20% down because at 19% down, it's 2.8%. So at 25%, that premium gets better, you know, and therefore your rate gets better. At 30% down, your premium goes down again. And then at 35% down, all of a sudden, that premium is pretty close to what you pay if you put less than 20% down. You said something that's kind of funny, and I've thought about this in the past, is if you're buying a house with 5% down and you're paying the CMHC premium of 4%, like you said, effectively, you only have 1% equity, less property transfer tax, lawyer fees, appraisals. If you were to then to turn around and sell that house and pay real estate commission, like you're 100% financed on that property. So there... And there's some like horror stories right now. Not horror. I mean, like just such bad situations because, you know, the human experience can exist in many forms. So like, you know, there's a lot, I've talked to people that bought 90, like at 5% down on a variable rate, not a true variable rate where your payment doesn't change, but an arm where like the payment's changing all the time. And yeah, like they're in rough shape, right? Like if you bought at the bottom of the cycle in an arm, like it's, it's tough. It's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So speaking on that point, where are rates headed? Crystal ball? Yeah. Well, I love to hypothesize. <laughs> I also like to like, you know, hypothesize. And then in my head, I'm like consistently like, you know, changing my narrative, but I don't actually broadcast that narrative for another six months. So then it just looks like awful. So, you know, if you had me at the bottom of this cycle, like there was no way I could ever think like I was telling people that there would be like fires on the street in Vancouver if we were ever at this level of interest rate. Like I did not think that anything could survive this. And I don't think anyone did really, like not many people did. And the narrative changed obviously, like as things ticked up there, but you know, before the Bank of Canada raised rates, like they were very clear that they would net like not be raising rates. They weren't raising rates until 2023. And that was in 2022. So like we kind of all were like, yeah, they're not going to raise rates. Like you take the, yeah, 1.4% off prime. Like what a great deal. Don't take the two and a half percent fixed. Like it's awful. Pay 1.8%. So anyways, I mean, I think if you look at yield curves today, I mean, if you looked at yield curves last week, we were done and, uh, there weren't, weren't going to be any more increases. And they were actually calling for a cut by, by, uh, March of 2024. That cut has now been put out to about September of 2024. And they're calling, there's like a 75 basis point chance of an increase by December. So we've got this September meeting coming up. I think pretty unlikely we're going to get an increase. It's like 50-50, I think. The Bank of Canada was expecting an increase of inflation in July versus June. So we had like 2.8% 2.8% in June. And then we had this like 3.3% number that just came up. They, you know, analysts were expecting 3.1. So that was kind of a, a shock to people. But if you pull mortgage servicing costs out of that and you pull gasoline out of that, it's like 2.4. So I think we're there, but I think it's a question of whether the Bank of Canada is going to continue to 
like pressure the system when all of the effects of like the previous rate increases haven't even been felt, or yeah. if they're just going to say like, you know, we can just hang out and just wait for things to, to come down. Do you think they're trying to, I know before affordability was part of their narrative for housing costs. It seems like the focus has just switched primarily to inflation and the inflation numbers. Do you think they're just focused on trying to, I mean, I know they go hand in hand, but are they just fixated on that? Let's get down to the two and a half percent inflation, or are they still concerned about affordability and are the rising rates impacting? Like, I, I feel like in the lower mainland, you guys have come down slightly more than up in Kelowna. Like we've definitely plateaued, but we're still trending upwards very gradually in the, the market. And like Matt can comment more on it, but have you guys seen quite a decline or correction in Vancouver? I think it depends on product and it, te- it depends a bit on like proximity. So I think if you were to have bought in like Mission or Chilliwack or something like that, like a little bit further out, that's probably seen the most amount of pressure because you're kind of seeing that return to work narrative at some companies, plus you're getting this higher interest rate. So you're not getting that like massive exodus from like the downtown core or, you know, like inner city to the suburbs, you're kind of getting more of a pullback in. I think like Bank of Canada it's tough. Like they have a tough, like, you know, it's like an impossible job. They're never really going to be right. They're always behind the curve. So I think for them, the housing front is certainly a key part to the whole puzzle, but because like not every Canadian owns a house, inflation is like this kind of like insidious thing that affects everybody. And so I think like, it's one of the reasons why the federal reserve in the U S too, has like just switched from like market stability in a way. And I mean, the markets just generally across like all of the markets have been pretty stable. So they haven't really had to switch that narrative, but I think that was really their main mandate for so many years. And now it's kind of switched to like, we have to get this inflation thing down because that affects like everybody in our population. And so I guess moving forward, where, where do you see the the market? Are we kind of at the top of the curve for rates and bottom of the curve for housing costs is it gonna yeah i mean it's you know the funny thing about inflation is it never like unless we get deflation which is certainly possible but you know like it never really comes out right like the costs that are here when they're saying like two percent year over year month over month that the like previous costs you know the previous ten percent the previous nine percent the previous whatever like has never really come out of the cost right so like costs are where they are you know, I think we're really lucky in Canada that we're a limited population, like a small population, huge landmass, but there's really only a few places that people want to live, you know, and there's only a few hubs. Like if you, if you compare like BC with Ontario, it's kind of night and day, right? Like the, if you look at BC, there's only a few cities, yeah. you guys in the Okanagan and like, you know, there's like this, you guys are both Kelowna. Yeah. 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 So like, you know, Kelowna and that, and that general area, like it can only support so many people, same with Vancouver, same with the Island. And then it's like, no one really wants to go North. So I just feel like in terms of like housing, there'll probably always be this sort of like underlying bid just because we're always growing as a, as a country until we kind of turn into Japan and because they're depopulating. And so like, you know, 
that's why their real estate market hasn't really done well. But, you know, we brought in like 1.2 million people last year. I think like 700,000 of those were on work permit or something, but still like it's, it's a crazy amount of people. Yeah. A lot of people coming, nowhere to really build, barriers to building everywhere, like including the interest rate, but not the only thing. Yeah, it feels like it's funny when you look at Canada, we look gigantic, but we're only like a little sliver on the bottom. And like yeah. most of the population is actually below the border. What is that, like the 48th parallel or whatever? Like yeah. we're below that. So like it's we're not a giant country. We are, but we're it's not really. Yeah. 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 And until we like, you know, I think as a country, though we are pretty rich in a way, just because we do have all that land and environmentalism. You know, I, I I went to UVic. Like I, I used to have hair. Uh, certainly followed under the hippie sort of like mandate and that sort of thing. So you know, I definitely like the environment. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I just think that like we have there's like a ton of oil reserves here. There's a ton of water reserves here. There's a ton of forestry reserves here. And and I mean, at the end of the day, we're not. We are in some respects taking some of that out, but we're not really tapping any of that to its potential. And so from like a, a country standpoint, like there's a lot of like resources that we could potentially tap into. And I think that's one of the things that keeps Canada afloat in a way as like a, as a place that people want to move to. Yeah. Yeah. I see the strategy for the government as well to bring in uh, or to increase the population. Obviously, like geographically, Canada is a huge landmass. Yes, we have a ton of resources, but one of the reasons why we are a higher paying tax country is because of the infrastructure. So, you know, if we're spanning a highway across one of the largest countries, well, somebody has to pay for that. And since our population is, you know, 10% of the states, well, that kind of goes hand in hand with the tax bracket that we're paying. So I think their strategy, and it's an unfortunate time where our housing market is so stressed and we don't have the supply but if we increase our population and increase taxpayers, then we can start to invest more in that infrastructure. It's just probably couldn't happen at a worse time. Like, you know, well, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe if we had that growth in population during a, a recession instead of an inflation, it would help stimulate things. But, um, you know, how can you plan for that? It's funny to think about it too. Like I used to work in telephone and like you think about how gigantic Canada is and almost everywhere, not everywhere, but like a lot of places have cell phone coverage. Whereas yeah. like a tiny country, it's not that hard to run telephone poles everywhere. Where here it's like, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of pole to put in one cell tower. Yeah. Right? We're doing that everywhere. Like, so it's like our cell phone bills are higher, but it's because of that, you know, compared to just putting on the top of buildings already there in the city. Yeah. You know, it's, kind of a, it's a different, but you just take that analogy to everything in Canada kind of starts to make sense, right? It's one of these things that I think it'll just be interesting to see globally what happens over the next number of years. And also just in terms of cost of living, it's gone up everywhere, right? There's certainly places where it hasn't gone up as much as others, but certainly in the US, like it's crazy right now. Cost of living's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think that it were like too out of line when you think about that, other than maybe the fact that you can make a little bit more money in the US being a tech worker, you know, being on a, you know, just because of the, the crazy engine that it is, but their visa program is way tougher. So it's just kind of like 
taken some of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Yeah, uh, I think it makes a big difference. So, so when do you think the rates are coming down? Do you think they're what the BOC is saying at the end of 2024? I mean, the BOC definitely doesn't want to indicate when they are going to cut in the sense that like once they do that, they're going to stoke the everything again. Yeah. So, you know, one of the problems about inflation is that it's like this story that everyone tells themselves. And, you know, like the prices in Kelowna have been going up for a long time. The prices in Vancouver have been going up for a long time. The prices in Toronto have been going up for a long time. Rents have been going up for people for a long time. But I had never up until like 2021 had anyone be like, oh, like it's because of inflation. You know, like nobody really like it wasn't even a thing. There was like, yeah, the prices. Oh, the price keep going up. That's crazy. That's weird. Like, yeah, like it, it's one of these things that I think just now that story, the inflation story is so pervasive amongst people. So, so and then it creates this like it creates this uh, like snowball effect where then you think, OK, well, now I need to make more money. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, I got to tell my employer they got to pay me more. And then your employer's like, oh, shoot, okay, well, now I have to plan to pay my staff more. I got to increase my cost to people. And then it's like, it's this snowball effect. So they're trying to like, just completely hammer that snowball. And they're trying to like, you know, as the snowball is rolling, they've got the magnifying, big magnifying glass. So they're just trying to like, make it seem that, but it's all over the news. It's all over everything. So and you're seeing like wage negotiations. You saw that like Netflix or the uh, actors strike down south, like port workers here were striking. So like everyone's like, guys, you got to pay me more. Like you got to pay me more. Costs are high. Yeah. So I think like, you know, one of the things about the Bank Canada is they're not going to start cutting rates until like that really starts to bite on Canadians. Everyone's kind of hopeful in the market that like there's a systemic event similar to that Silicon Valley bank thing that they kind of were able to clean up and everything was fine. So like the market's kind of looking at like some sort of thing that happens. And then once something happens, they're going to have to act and and cut rates. And we don't really know what that thing is going to be. Like in 2008, for instance, there was like, I don't know, like there were a number of things that collapsed before that like big, big collapse. And every time it was like five months later, something else would happen. And like everyone would be like, oh, no, everything's fine. That was it. I guess that's it. No problem. At some point in time, something's going to break. So whenever I talked about like the Bank of Canada raising interest rates, prior to this craziness, like pandemic and everything, they generally like the max they would ever go was half a percent. So like, and they would rarely ever pull that out. And I always equated it to them having this like fiscal gun and they're reloading and like unloading this gun and they're just like shooting the gun. And whenever they shoot the gun, like the economy gets a bit of stimulus. And during the pandemic, they were at 0.25, right? So like 0.25, they had one bullet, like, you know, and if they had discharged that bullet, we'd be at zero. And then, you know, Europe got to negative. Now we're like, being over 5%. I mean, they got like a machine gun round in there right now. So like, it's just a question of like, of how resilient this whole thing is. And if anything blows up in Canada, then obviously the the Bank of Canada would have to be like, react on their own. But the way the world is so like interconnected, it's like any little drop anywhere is going to create this like massive kind of ripple. So. I mean, a long way of saying, like, I think there's a good chance that we see something just like snap, 
you know, when you're doing squats and somebody's like putting plates on the rack, like effectively, you know, the commercial real estate market, the, you know, the corporate bond market, like everyone's standing there and like, they just keep on and like legs are trembling and oh, like we can do it, you know, and, and some people are getting zeroed in this, right? Like if, if something snaps, then they're going to go and they're going to cut like a percent, maybe even more than a percent, like in pretty short like it'll be very quick. Like they're just going to like start discharging this gun just to be like, yep. Okay. Everything's done. We don't, we're not trying to break anything. We just want to make things slower. But if that doesn't happen, you know, we're in for a bit more pain. I, you know, it actually is kind of nice to have that, that we do have a lever to pull with this interest rate, right? Like it's not like it's like this and it's at zero. So yeah. like, it's nice that there is somewhere to go. Like I, I know it actually big picture. It kind of makes me feel a little bit better about that. And yeah. you kind of get through it collectively, even though it sucks. But like, yeah, it is nice. It, we feel like in a bit of a strong position. Like we can move some things yeah. to get things going again if it needs to be. Yeah. I mean, they were like in the corner and like yeah. up yeah. against the wall with one bullet. I mean, it was like, you know, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible level, you know, like flew over people like, you know, yeah, we're getting the bullets packed in, you know, like it, it's been crazy. And at the end of the day, everyone's like, there's certainly been pain. People are in rough spots, but we're all still here, which I think if you would have asked people in 2021, if this is, would actually be possible, I think like 98% of people would have been like, absolutely no way. I don't even think they would have thought this would have been able to be. Yeah. Can I ask then, and I'm sure there's a very obvious answer to this and I've thought about this before, but so there's eight announcements for the overnight rate a year. Why is it always such a surprise? Like, oh, you know, 50 basis points, 25 basis points. Yes, they're going to make an increase. No, they're not going to make an increase. Like, how do we not have some more indicators for economists to go, you know what, there's a 79% chance that there's going to be a 25% increase. Like, yeah, I'll send you, there is that kind of, but the problem is that like everyone loves every side of the narrative. And so like everyone wants to hear about why this could happen or why that can happen. And generally speaking, like fixed rates, because they are priced in the bond market, they're a leading indicator on where everyone thinks rates are going to go. So getting closer to the rate announcement, you know, you see different things start to get priced in and you start to see this sort of like movement in the curve. So it is kind of forecast because like at the end of the day, like the Canadian bond market is like seven guys with Bloomberg terminals trading like notional 500 billion a day. Like, you know, like they're just like, yep, yep. Okay. You know, like it's not like this giant thing and you do have other central banks and other equity funds coming in, but it's not like a massive market. So, but it's all kind of forecasted a bit in that market, or at least what they think is going to happen. After like the announcement comes out, if there's like a very rapid change in fixed rates, that's generally when you know that it's like being a surprise a bit, like, because then like fixed rates are trying to reprice, they're actually behind when usually like they're effectively ahead. I mean, we refer to fixed rates as the, or the bond market as the smart money, right? Like yeah. that's the direction. And if there's an inverse yield, that's kind of where we're, we're directed to. Yeah. And maybe there was a false hope, you know, five, six months ago when the bond market was racing downwards because of the U.S. banking system and we kind of plateaued on the overnight rate. 
That was a pause. I often say that like, it goes like a top is generally formed with like, I don't know, I used to trade oil. So like when, like when a top forms, like it kind of like hits its top and then it retraces a little bit. And then it like takes another run at that top. And I feel like that's where we are right now. We're like, we ran at the top. Now we've exceeded that other top. But generally, unless it's like Bitcoin or something, you know, like that other top isn't just going to get like blown out of the water. What's going to happen is it's like just kind of it like crested it a little bit, you know, like a bunch of people who put their stop loss like at the top of that channel got like blown out. Great. And now it's going to kind of just like mellow out again, as long as we don't see any other massive surprises. One last quick question before we dive into our our wrap-up round here. You're an investor. You're buying a rental property. What mortgage product? You could qualify for anything, a one-year, a five-year fixed variable. Yeah. What would you put yourself in if you were planning on holding that rental for, you know, 10 years? I mean, so there's two, I guess, two schools of thought there. Variable rate, like the discount to the prime rate right now is pretty awful. It's not great on a rental like Scotiabank. Yeah. Good luck getting less than prime, you know? So it's like, great. I'm paying 7.2, but there's something to be said for a variable rate. And I think a variable rate is something that is a long-term strategy. It's a cost averaging strategy. Yes. For 20 some odd years, it never really went up. Now we're getting, and now we're going up a bit, but at the end of the day, like, I don't think taking variable is really that big a deal as long as like you're okay with your cash flow and you're not going to get blown out if rates go up you know another percent which you know maybe they do but if you if you look at your borrowing and and you can qualify for a variable rate i really don't mind that as like an option because then you're able to take advantage of not only like the better penalty potentially i mean not when rates are 7.2 but better potential penalty you also get like a slightly you're able to capitalize on the down when it happens because nobody knows when it's going to happen. It's kind of like cost averaging on a stock. I also really like a three-year fixed. It's like a nice in-between right now. Three years, you're getting a decent discount compared to a two-year. If you could get something like just over 6%, you know, and you're comparing that against a variable rate, like it might make sense. Yeah, no, I I agree. I like the the three-year fixed right now, but I, I do think you raised a really good point that people have forgotten about is it's not about, you know, if you get into a variable product now, you're not hoping that the opportunity is just, you're in that product forever and you're going to ride that down. It's you're able to then break that when you see the opportunity, whether that's a new discount on prime, whether it's the same lender or different lender or fixed rates drop, but it's, it's, yeah, the penalties there. But if, if the discount on prime comes down to prime plus half or prime minus half a percent plus, you know, variable rates come down, well, then there's a huge opportunity to save money there. So yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have with people, but I think, what do you think like the general population, do you think they're going to be like leaning towards fixed rates just because of what's happened here? Like even when they come down? I feel like, when, especially when you buy a rental property, I feel like people are just going to go fix just so they, this cannot happen to them. Totally. There's definitely going to be some like pain and some, I don't know what that's called, but yeah, where you just, where, yeah, like you're just it, trauma. Yeah. There's some trauma, right? So yeah. And, you know, I think that it's just been a tough run, this one, like just so much in such a short period of time and unexpected. 
Yeah. Like, opposite of unexpected. Like, like you said earlier, they were telling you, they basically raised rates a year before they said they were going to. So yeah. like, plans yeah. like that. Yeah. Really is like, for your question there, Matt, I, I think in our markets, it comes down to what you can be approved for. So people are going to take the cheapest rate, whether it's variable or, or fixed, if it gets them a higher purchase price. The people that are in a better position to make that choice, like I would say the majority of my clients, we don't really honestly have the choice of what product they want to go into, whether it's variable or fixed most of the time, because our debt service ratios are at that upper end that if they wanted to go to a variable that's a percent higher than the fixed, they can't afford the property. So it's it's an unfortunate time. Maybe a couple of years ago, we had way more opportunity to, to choose what product you wanted to be in. But yeah, the, the, the bank kind of, kind of forces our hand that way right now. Yeah. I mean, if you're taking a variable at 7.2, you're qualifying at 9.2%, which uh, yeah. Your income has to be fairly substantial in our markets to be able to qualify on on that rate at these prices. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Time for everyone's favorite part of the show, the ice maker section, brought to you by myself, Matt Glenn. If you could purchase one property in the Okanagan in the next year, investment, recreational, you can choose whatever you want. Uh, Where would it be and what would it be? Yeah. And I was thinking Kamloops, like is Kamloops Okanagan? I know it's like Thompson. Kind oh, of, yeah. North End. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, purchase one property. I love your wine regions around there. I mean, that would be the, you know, when I hit it big on rate filter. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I have a bit of a special place with Kamloops. I mean, I think it's been on a bit of a run, you know, since the pandemic, but uh, I thought there was still a little value there. And the Trans Mountain. There's been a lot of people working there. Totally. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that's almost done or it's going to be done. Well, actually, they say it is what it keeps. <laughs> yeah. Extended. So we'll see what it actually is finished. But I know, I personally know quite a few people that are working. Yeah. 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 Awesome. It's a good uh, city. What, it's fun. What, uh, what was that? Oh, I said it's a good city. It's a fun city. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, I've spent a lot of time there. I, I really like Cambridge. I think it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, it's not Kelowna. But it's uh, no. <laughs> all right. What's the best thing you've ever spent money on? I love travel. Like uh, I'm actually off to Italy on the second of September for twenty some odd days for a friend's wedding. But we're also going to kind of cruise around. Big kind of fan of just like getting experiences logged. Uh, I went to China a number of years ago, and it was just like a, I don't know. It's just like so eye opening being in different spots, and you kind of can start to look at yourself or look at even your country and be like, oh, wow, like there's just so much difference, you know, around the world. Where about in Italy are you going? There's a wedding around like Bari, Astuni area. We're flying in and out of Rome. We're going to drive down to Naples, kind of go across to the East Coast and then north a little bit and then kind of like drive back around to Rome. Very so, cool. Um, what is the best book and or quote you have for us? Think and Grow Rich was like my favorite book. I freaking love that book. I've read it like 20 times. Yeah. It's crazy. And Napoleon Hill is like, yeah. he's like a weird mystic kind of, you know, like it's a bit weird. It's a bit, it's, I, I don't want to get too esoteric, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, he's like, a yeah. Anyways, definitely doing some crazy things. And, you know, his big quote is whatever the mind can believe it can achieve. No, yeah. there's a conceive in there too. Anyways. 
Like yeah. really just like whatever you put your mind to and whatever you work towards every single day can actually happen, but you actually have to do it every single day. And I think that's, that's the hard part. The consistency of life is the hard part, I think. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Whenever I need a little bit of motivation, I just fire up the first half of that book. It's just like, it's yeah, it's, I love it. Yeah. And, and I mean, when he literally went around and interviewed the, yeah, the everyone, atheist, biggest names in America at the time. And they effectively all had the same sort of methodology, the way that they like became as big as they were. And it literally was just like diligence and doing it. So yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Just believe in yourself and never stop. Yeah. How can uh, the show help you? How can our listeners help you out? Well, if you want to check out ratefilter.ca, that's like my new build rate comparison website. Check out your lowest mortgage rates online. Got all the, well, not all, uh, but I just added a Soyuz Credit Union, some interesting different ones. They had a cool rate up until a couple of weeks ago. And then, yeah, I've got like an email address, uh, andy at andyhill.ca, if anyone had any economic questions they want to chat about. Yeah, we'll definitely put all that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, it's been awesome talking to you, Andy. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It's been great. Yeah, Great to meet you. Know. We'll have to link up at some point in time. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Next time you're up here or when we're down there, but uh, totally. yeah, appreciate you coming on and we'll look forward to the next one. Totally. Yeah. Thanks guys. I'll keep you posted on how things go with uh rain filter. Like, no. yeah. 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 Love to come back and talk about that. Yeah. Beauty. Okay. All the best. It. Thanks guys. Thanks again. Talk Thank to you, you soon. Thanks for listening to the Kelowna real estate podcast. Be sure to reach out and let us know how else we can add value to your Kelowna real estate journey. Please show some support by hitting the like, share, and subscribe button. This is sponsored by Matt Glenn Real Estate and Taylor Adventure Mortgages.